0: Hi everyone, I'm April. And I'm Christine. Before we get started, we wanted to warn you that the following content contains adult language, activities, and violence, and may not be suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern Tales of the Weird, Wild, Mysterious, Unusual, Voodoo, Voodoo, Cryptids, Hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine.
0: everybody we're back yes we are it's been a minute and tonight's drink du jour is blood and honey american ale by revolver brewing i can never say that word brewing thank you and brewing (laughs) brewing (laughs) so it's a citrusy it's a citrusy ale you would probably not like it i actually really like it it's a citrus blonde And it's in a brood out of Granbury, Texas, which is southwest of Dallas-Fort Worth, which one half of this episode takes place in, well, in many places, but one of them starts off in in the Dallas, the West Dallas area. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about tonight? And (laughs) you're in for it. You're in for a little treat. Yeah you are So um,
2: They do So uh, mine is sort of like a Mini um, Just a mini Story
0: and it uh, Well let me ask you this Mm-hmm. What do Or what does Bonnie and Clyde And James Ma- Jane Mansfield have in common
2: they all died in Louisiana. Yes. So there's your there's your link to the two. There you go. Um, and uh, I am going to I guess go first this this go around. Yay. Um, so Jane Mansfield was born in 1933. Vera Jane Palmer. In Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. And um, she was an only child to her parents. And her father was a prominent attorney. Unfortunately, he died tragically when she was three years old. Okay. So she and her mom um, moved to... The Dallas, Texas area with her stepfather.
0: Whoa, I did not know that.
2: Yeah, so yet another link. Um, and she as a um, as a child and then you, and then I guess young teenager, played violin and would perform in the driveway of her family home.
1: Oh. And
2: I know, it was so cute. Yeah. And then she was also involved in something that you and I dabbled in—little theater productions. <laughs> yes. I mean, obviously, <laughs> our ours never went anywhere. But
0: <laughs> I was traumatized by that. But you know, it's good we, times. We were,
2: we were. I would say gently nudged, but I feel like we were pushed, shoved into it. <laughs>
0: we were i used to take the non-speaking role i'll take the non-speaking role, <laughs> and i the- was
2: the one who was like i just want one line i want to say one line <laughs> just give me one speaking
0: part oh not me no i was like i'll stand in the bag i don't even want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> i don't even want to be here yeah and
2: so i can't remember i'm getting off yeah off track but i can't remember if it was my senior year, we did Little Abner. It was our high school play, and I was—I played a a chambermaid, and I had one line. I think I was introducing someone knocking at the door.
0: Just imagine. and I was like,
2: "Yes, Little Abner, I've made it."
0: Oh my god, Little Abner! Like, is that even PC? Can you even do that?
2: We, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, but we didn't know any better (laughs) then. But no, it was not a good idea.
0: Okay. All right. We digress, but good times. So,
2: so, um, after that, though, she actually trained um, as an actor at Methodist Southern University or Southern Methodist University. Apologies. Wow. If if I said that wrong. Um, And then... Also, at the University of Texas at Austin.
0: Oh, okay. I did not even know that, but very good.
2: Yeah. So, is that where Nana and Granddaddy were? hmm
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Another digression. Um, ties to that. Yeah, family ties.
2: I can't remember if it was at Austin where they met, but I think it was.
0: That's the story I heard. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, she also spent a summer semester at UCLA. So um, she did receive training um, as an actor, and then, um, and then in 1953, she appeared in Playboy, the same time as Marilyn Monroe and Betty Page were centerfolds. Wow. Um, so early 1950s is when she started to, um, you know, become famous. So she actually, this is just an aside I thought was an interesting tidbit. She was turned down for a GE commercial because her breasts were too big. Um, (laughs) Right. Okay. So she's like this I guess now's a good time to to say, you know, she's a blonde bombshell actress. yeah, um, she's a sex symbol, just like Marilyn Monroe. however, um Marilyn monroe uh, well, she was said to ha- ha- to be a rival of Marilyn Monroe's. however, Marilyn Monroe said that she would um, always impersonate her and she didn't do a very good job because she did it in a vulgar way. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes Jane Mansfield would even um, pretend to be Marilyn. Petty. Right. So there was some petty pettiness going on between (laughs) the two. But, you know, I read that Jane Mansfield would even if people missed mistook her for uh, Marilyn that she would um, just go along with it and pretend to be her. Uh, Yeah. I heard that too. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, she was turned down for a, and again, I just thought this was interesting. She was turned down for a GE commercial towards the beginning of her career because her breasts were too big. (laughs) They wanted a woman laying by a pool, but they didn't want her to be busty apparently. (laughs)
0: Wow. That changed.
2: Right. It changed. And it also, you know, she had the last laugh because um, when she moved to Hollywood, uh, she had it was in 1955 and she had bit parts until her breakout role in the burglar in 1957. Mm. So um, that basically put her on the map. You know, she had appeared in Playboy, obviously, and had some exposure there, like literal exposure. But um, <laughs> right. then I was like, the words I've chosen sometimes just kill me. Um, anyway, um, and you know, she's not just a pretty face, right. she's whip smart with an IQ in the 160s. Wow. Um, she was either. actually given the nickname Broadway's Smartest Dumb Blonde.
0: Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that.
2: Yeah, because, you know, obviously, <laughs> and this is still common today, you know, a, a beautiful yeah. woman, you know, is oftentimes mistaken for not being very smart, but right. you know, that needs to change. <laughs> right.
0: You can't Normalized, be smart and pretty at the same beautiful time. Women you being smart. Yeah, you can't be smart and pretty at the same time. What? No.
2: Right? <laughs> Silliness. So, um, she was in the Girl Can't. I mean, I'm just going to name a couple of her movies. Obviously, this isn't her entire, um, you know, um, movieography or whatever. Um, But she was in The Girl Can't Help It, 1957, Too Hot to Handle, 1960, The Wayward Bus, 1963. And um, in 1963, she was also... In Promises, Promises, where she became the first American movie star post silent film to appear nude in a movie. Oh, in Promises, Promises.
0: I did not know that. I'm gonna have to go back and watch these movies because I've never seen I like all movies. I've never seen any of these actually.
2: The only one that I watched was too hot to handle and I think we had to watch it in a um theater elective class that I took. Yeah. Um it wasn't you know, like I chose that movie to watch myself, but I remember too high as a handle in a movie, um, class, a theater. Uh, yeah. What is it, am I trying to say? Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. The, the elective.
2: Yes. You- a, a theater elective. So, um,
0: right.
2: that, you know, I think I told you this too offline, but, uh, when I was doing my research, there's actually a photo on, um, that came up on Wikipedia that shows her boobs. Like if anybody boobs, if anybody's interested, <laughs> I was like, did I really just say it like that? I did.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I just say something like that sounded funny? I know. That's the I'm word. just going to
2: own that one. Cause okay. I did say boobs, boobs. There you go. So, um, <laughs> If you're interested, don't take my word for it. Just Google or Wikipedia, Jane Mansfield. And I mean, it's like a full frontal or maybe it's like side, but it's a it's a, at least one boob.
0: <laughs> Is it side boob?
2: It's, it's not even it's like full one boob. I think I can't remember. Anyway, like I should maybe we <laughs> could put a link or something. Yeah.
0: Okay. We Take a note on that.
2: So, this is what made me think of you, too. Link she her lived boobs. In, what's that? Link her, her boots. <laughs> Got it. No, but that's funny. Um, She lived in the pink, what was called the pink palace.
0: Yes. I've seen pictures. I love it. And...
2: I, okay, so, and we can include this, uh, there's a website that has all these cool photos of the pink palace. Um, but, so anyway, it's a mansion, um, with a heart-shaped bathtub and a heart-shaped swimming pool.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh.
2: But she's, I mean, there's, like, her office with, like, the red ceiling, and then there's also, um... The bathroom with the heart-shaped tub is, I guess this was, like, popular in the 50s and probably 60s, too. But the entire bathroom is car- pink carpeted.
0: Right. Right. I know. That would like, be so weird to get out and have such wet carpet. But, right. I know. floor
2: to ceiling is carpet. Right. Like, there's carpet, if I'm not mistaken, around the
0: bathtub. Oh, I think so. (laughs) That was probably when it came out. They're like, put that in a wet room. I don't know. I don't know. They're like, this is cool. We're going to just cover it all in carpet. Right? (laughs) Wall
2: to wall, ceiling to ceiling, like
0: nothing but carpet and make it pink. Make it pink, which looked good to me. Like it's gaudy as hell. I've always said that if I ever struck it like uber rich, like if I was just like, just like Elvis is known for, I would be so gaudy. Oh, <laughs> it's like speak. gaudy to the
2: nth degree. But, but in a way it's like cool.
0: Yeah, of course. It was just it was over the top, it was the most.
2: It was so extra. I mean I know it was, but i would uh suggest if you have, you know, even the slightest bit of interest to check out the website because it's got some really good photos, good quality photos of the house. Yeah. And we can include that in the notes. But um, so unfortunately um, after she enjoyed success, her career did start to fizzle. And one of the reasons for that was there was actually a shift away from the bombshell type um, actress in Hollywood. Um, people were, were, I guess, starting to go to the girl next door or things like that, you know, or, you know, yeah. different types of characters. They didn't want that yeah. particular um, one to be overarching. Yeah. So she had trouble with her contract with Fox also because she kept having children. She had five <laughs> children. She was um, actually married and divorced three times and, um, had, um, and I I can go through the, the kids, um, the marriages and the kids. So, um, she was married to Paul Mansfield and, um, she had Jane Marie Mansfield, uh, with him. So oldest daughter.
0: So who was he? What's that? Well, who was he? Was I don't know who that is. Was he? A- you know, honestly, I I don't.
2: There wasn't anything terribly notable about him. Okay. It was her second husband, um, Mickey Hartigay, that was actually an actor and a bodybuilder who was Mister Universe in 1955.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
2: And they actually um, acted together in several movies.
0: Yeah, there is nothing uh, notable. about You're right. I just googled him in that time. I'm yeah, I just many. I couldn't really
2: find anything about him. Now, one one thing I thought was interesting is that when they divorced, um, she actually uh, kept his last name because she thought it was uh, better than her maiden name for acting purposes.
0: Oh, okay. Can see that,
2: so I guess Jane Mansfield has a better sound than Jane Palmer.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, either one, but yeah, I could see it.
2: And so, with Mickey Hardigay, she had three children Mariska, Zoltan, and Miklos, who was Mickey Jr., known <laughs> as Mickey Jr.,
0: those sound like and, Greek names, was, yeah, was for Greek? sure. Was he for Greek? sure.
2: So, um and there's there's actually photos of him like bodybuilding as Mr. Universe. Um, and of course still's from the movies and stuff that I saw. Um, but they I think they are the ones who lived in the pink palace for the, the longest together.
0: I was just thinking that. I was wondering how he felt. Like I literally was thinking, How did he feel about living in the Pink Palace? <laughs> Yeah, there's,
2: I want to say there's pictures of him on that website that that we can post. But um, I think one of them is him like in the bathroom shaving in front (laughs) of one of the gaudy mirrors, not the pink bathroom. Um, And then there's one, I think uh, one uh, or the other wrote something like, I love you and in this Near the swim near the swimming pool or something, but um, I th- I think that's the two of them lived there the longest.
0: Okay, that's funny. He probably didn't care. He's like, you know what, I'm I'm secure in my manhood. I can live in a pink palace. You
2: know? Yeah, and you know what's sad is that it, it it's since been demoed. It's not there anymore.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Which I feel like would have been you know, like museum worthy. Yes. Or, Something
0: like that. I would pay for to go see that.
2: (laughs) Well, so she and Mickey ultimately divorced, and she remarried Matt Simber, um, and uh, had a son with him. So, so that's Antonio Simber. Um, So that's Jane Mansfield. Mariska Zoltan, Miklos, or Mickey Jr. Hardigay, and then um, her son with Matt Simber. And even though her career was, you know, I guess, falling apart in the movies scene, um, she still was very popular, particularly outside of the U.S., and she did start doing nightclub appearances, um, both outside and inside the U.S. Oh, okay. Which, actually, um... Did she sing? Well, from what I could tell, it was singing, but um most of it, I think, was, like, strip tease. Oh,
0: yeah. Like,
2: performing, you know, maybe along with singers, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, kind of like a little sexy number kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, like a... Like, exactly. you maybe not sing as good, but you, you know, you can throw the little... Appeal yeah, again. I don't,
2: I guess you could say they didn't go to listen
0: to her sing. Right, exactly, right. <laughs> Not here to hear her sing, but okay. I guess like burlesque. I was thinking burlesque. Okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I can picture it. He,
2: yeah, so she did that. And then um what's notable about this episode, um, unfortunately, is her death. And um, in 1967, she was actually traveling from Biloxi, Mississippi at 2 a.m. where she had a show.
0: That's crazy to me that she was in in little bitty Biloxi.
2: I know. It makes you, you know, I I want to research some more to find out, you know, where she performed and if it's still there. Um, But so... They're traveling uh, back from Biloxi at two o'clock in the morning um, because, or back from Biloxi to New Orleans because she had um, press or a TV oh, yeah. spot Interview. that she was scheduled for the next morning very early. Yeah. And um, it was Jane, her three children, uh, the Hardigate children, Mariska, Mickey Jr., and Zoltan. Okay. And, um, her driver, of course, and then her boyfriend at the time. So Jane and her boyfriend were in the front, and the three children were in the back of the car sleeping, and it was a very dark highway. Um, and mm. at the time, um, there was a... A mosquito fog machine. You know, I think yeah. that's probably like a regional thing. Like, I don't know if all of our listeners know what that is. Like now, a mosquito truck. Mosquito trucks come by and they blow closed. this chemical fog everywhere that supposedly, um, you know, it doesn't mitigates. work here.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> it's our state bird here, mosquitoes. Right, here.
2: so. Um, There was a mosquito fog machine nearby, so um, they suspect that that obstructed the driver's uh, vision, and they ran, literally ran, it says, into the back of a semi-trailer truck or 18-wheeler Big Mac, Mm. if you're from the South. Um, Man, God. But they ran. It says they ran into the back of the semi trailer truck, but they actually ran underneath it. Oh, so the car went under the tra- Cause, the trailer because
0: it was a convertible, right? Or was or made it a no. convertible. Oh man, the pictures no. make it. I guess because it ripped the top off. Oh, yeah, right. it did.
2: It 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 took it literally, yeah. like. Peeled back Ooh. the top of the car. That's why everybody, you know, there's yeah. a couple of things that um, people assume when they see photos or actually they assumed when they saw the wreckage that night. One was that it was a convertible. Yeah. The other was that she had been decapitated because her wig was thrown from the car and rumors started to swirl that that was because she was decapitated.
0: Oh my God. That's see the real quick. The reason why, what made me think of this or at least put it on our topics list was because, um, there is a law enforcement entity in our state that, um, you can go and see pictures of, uh, of her crash, mm-hmm. and it. I I just thought she was in a convertible. That's wild.
2: Yeah, there and those are those are all over the internet too. Like high quality photos of the car, and it's yeah. it's just it's just so, so I mean, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and just gruesome and tragic. Like it just. Well, makes that's what cringe. they
2: said, you know. There were rumors that flew around, like about the decapitation and things like that, but. You know, in reality, it's a lot worse than that because when it took off the top of the car, it... um, Scalped them? So, obviously, the driver, Jane, and her boyfriend, Samuel Brody, were all three killed instantly. And it took, like, it took off the tops of their heads.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Which, to
2: me, is worse than... What, you know, like if it was decapitated, I don't know. They're both heinous, but. Yeah. So it took off the tops of their heads. And um, unfortunately, one of her dogs was in the car and the poor baby died. But um, all three children that were sleeping in the back seat survived.
0: Because they were underneath, you know, they were below the top of the car. Huh? Yeah. I mean, and you know that,
2: that has. That's a boat of a vehicle. So, you know, yeah. the kids were young. They were could probably just lay down on the back seat. Yeah. Right. All three of them.
0: Right. And their heads wouldn't go over the seat like Mm-mm. the adults did. And so you said that only the kids were asleep. So the adults yes. were awake. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. I can't.
2: Only the children were sleeping. And um, so... Um, again, you know, it was likely because the, the driver couldn't see because of the fog. Um, but, um, and one of the articles that I read, actually I have, I, I wanted to read something directly from the article and, um, it's the name of it is a blind bombshell, a satanic curse and rumors of decapitation, the tragic story of Jane Mansfield's death. So, and this is, I'm reading this uh, word, word for word from the article by Genevieve Carlton. It says, according to police, Mansfield suffered a gruesome, though near instantaneous death. The police report taken after the accident states that the upper portion of this white female's head was severed. Mansfield's death certificate confirms that she suffered a crushed skull and partial separation of her cranium, an injury more akin to a scalping than a total decapitation. Oh, my God. But the beheading story remains oft-repeated, even finding its way into the 1996 movie Crash. Ooh. I know. And I'll go back to that. Well, I don't really have that much... But I'll go back to that. Okay. But it says, finally, it says, another rumor followed on the heels of Mansfield's alleged beheading. Gossip Hounds said that the starlet who had been in a relationship with the Church of Satan founder Anton LaVey was killed by a curse LaVey put on her boyfriend Brody. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and that's really all I found about that. But I thought, you know, the rumors and then the the supposed curse was just kind of interesting. Um, I saw that movie Crash. I just don't remember um, because it's yeah. it's been a minute since so <laughs> right,
0: I've seen it. Yeah, of course, of course. But I do
2: want to go back and watch and see what the reference is. Yeah, um, to that uh, accident.
0: Okay, I didn't see that. Okay. I'd like to see that. Yeah,
2: I do remember watching that movie because I remember it being really popular um, Mm -hmm. way back in the day. Uh, But so Mariska Hardigay, some of our listeners or a lot of our listeners may know, um, is Jane's daughter. She's uh, on Law and Order SVU.
0: Oh, I did not know
2: that. Yeah, and I used to watch that show years ago. Yeah, okay. I think that's the one with Ice-T, if I'm not mistaken. One
0: of them. Didn't they have more than that SV- Yeah,
2: there's a bunch there. of SV. Well, I think, so she's on the Special Victims Unit. I can't remember if Ice-T's on that one or not. Okay. But um I really liked her whenever I did watch it. But she was actually interviewed in a magazine and says that she has no memory of the crash, but she does have a scar on the side Whoa. of her head.
0: Oh, she hit something clearly. So she was she the oldest? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying. <laughs> i so sorry. Well, I don't I don't think I said, okay. but I think she was
2: because I think yeah, because I think uh the brothers are both younger than her, so.
0: Okay. okay. Wow. That's, I didn't even know who that was because when I mentioned the this topic to you, you were so excited, which is why I was like, you know what? You take Jane Mansfield because you clearly knew who her daughter was and I didn't have any idea. I was like, oh, okay. I, I don't know who that is, so.
2: Yeah, I remember years, like, a long time ago, um reading that somewhere, that Jane Mansfield was her mother and knew about the crash, um, which I didn't mention. The crash happened actually um, around Slidell, which is a town about,
0: gosh, maybe like 15 miles from where I live. Yeah, and so it's what? Um, how far is it from New Orleans? Oh, not far at all. It's probably... It's probably 15,
2: 20 miles to New Orleans East. Okay,
0: because it does, you know what, never mind, because um, the reason why I asked that is because when I just looked it up, it did it lists New Orleans, but that makes sense, because most people probably, well, they know where New Orleans is, they just don't know where Slidell is. I would think more, more people would.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I did backwards. enjoy covering this one, because, you know, I had always known that she died in a car accident in this area, but I never knew um, the, like, the severity of it or the details around it. So I thought it was really interesting.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I had seen um, both of, of these stories that we're covering today. This is why I thought it would be good to pair them together. I don't know why I thought this would be a cool, easy, breezy one, but it's definitely a fun one, I'd say, but, I, um, they like I said, this law enforcement entity has the pictures of her crash um, because it's a Louisiana law enforcement uh, entity. And then they also have artifacts and pictures of Bonnie and Clyde. You know, oh, because, wow. Yeah. I think they have some of the – I'm remembering correctly. I might be wrong on that. But I think they have some of the Tommy guns from Bonnie and Clyde. But um, is that – does that conclude that? Do you want to – take a break here yep or- we can take a break here that was it for mine and we're going to take a break and when we come back we will come back with Bonnie and Clay.
3: song. Me too. This is my new favorite song. I think you better slow down though. You're going kind of fast. Uh oh, it's too late. Uh Oh my god, it's a motorcycle cop. That reminds me. I've been listening to this new podcast called Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. Motor Cop Chronicles chronicles. Get your mind out of the gutter.
0: I mean, they do wear those tight pants and boots
3: and bike. Oh my god, the Ice Man, the host of the show, he is so hilarious. He tells all of his stories from from people that he stopped and pulled over and crashes. He has rants that he goes on about people and and their habits and bad habits and everything. He does it in the news section it is so funny. You're going to have to listen to it.
0: I guess I'm going to have to check out Motor Cop Chronicles then.
3: Yes, you are. Ma'am, I pulled you over for doing 80 and a 45. I'm going to need your driver's license, insurance, and registration, please. Okay, well, I was not going 80. I'm not here to argue with you. I need the information now. Fine. All right, stand by. I'll be right back. I wonder if that was the Iceman. I don't know, but if it was, that means we might be on his next podcast. Maybe so. All right, ma'am, I need to just sign right here. It's not admission of guilt. Just teach you to pay a citation or show up in court. All right, thank you. Drive safe. Yes, sir. You too. Oh, my God. It was the Iceman. You see right here on this ticket? He signed it. The Iceman. We are so on The next podcast, he is going to mention us. I wonder if he thought we were cute. Oh my God. Yes. I'm definitely going to check out Motor Cop Chronicles to see if we're on there. It's so funny.
0: From outer space, yeah, yeah. So we're back with Bonnie and Clyde. Um, so Clyde was known as the underestimated desperado of the Great Depression.
2: Whoa,
0: yeah, I actually stole that, <laughs> and I'll, I'll uh, put I'll link credit. I credit whoever said that. I was like, dang, that
2: sounds good. Yeah, no, I didn't.
0: I didn't oh. say that. So they were also the Romeo and Juliet. British and high powered machine guns and driving the newly invented Ford V8s. They um, definitely made their indelible mark in the history or in history as Robin Hoods for the poor and destitute who were um, disenfranchised by the American political and financial institutions. For sure. So Bonnie Parker was born October 1st, 1910, in Rowena, Texas. Her father died, and then her mother moved the family to West dallas texas and clyde chestnut barrow or bud as the family called him he was born march 24th 1909 in Telico, texas he was the fifth of nine children and sometimes you might find him listed as clyde champion barrow but that's because he had written that he had signed in in one of the um uh, his stays at a at, uh in jail or prison so that kind of gives you a glimpse on as to who what he thought of himself, <laughs> which I love, yeah, yeah. Clyde was...
2: Chestnut turned Clyde Champion, right?
0: You know, of course, I love it, absolutely. Um, so his mom was Cumi Barrow, and his dad was named Henry. So they moved from Teleco to West Dallas when Clyde was young, and this is because, uh, at this time. Um, like I said, during the Great Depression, and also this was just before or right in the beginnings of the Dust Bowl. So their family farm had failed, and and not only theirs but everywhere because they didn't understand farming that if you just deplete the topsoil, then that leaves you with nothing, you know, just dust and dirt. So – they um, they moved from the rural areas into what was known as the city areas. And then this, for them, was West Dallas.
2: So, was that because, like, once they cultivated what they grew, they didn't replenish the
0: topsoil? Is that what it is? That, along with um, understanding, like, irrigation and it being, you know, West Texas and the Plains area... Um, windy, and then like just the drought season, super dry it. conditions. Yep, exactly. And so, um, you know that that was one thing that they contended with was the, and and okay, so just to give you the backdrop, so then you have so the stock market crashed in nineteen twenty nine, so the the, the U S was devastated anyway, except for you know the financial, like they said, the financial institution bankers and whatnot, and people who still. I had jobs subsequent to, but um, so you had that, and then in this particular area, West Texas, Oklahoma, that area, that was um, where the what they call the Dust Bowl, where these winds would kick up, and because they depleted the topsoil, there was just nothing but dust, and then then the winds came through and just swirl it in, and it was just—I mean, if you go back and read accounts, like people would choke and die. On the dust that would come in. And then you couldn't even seek ref- uh, uh, shelter, I guess, away from it because the way the houses were built, like, this dust, the wind would just blow it into, like, the, the tiniest of cracks in between the slats. Ugh, the but, that yeah. sounds
2: terrible. Oh,
0: absolutely, yeah. And then, you know, t- just a couple, you know, on, stacked on top of that, just no resources, no food, you know, just conditions the poorest of the poor really okay so hopefully I've kind of set that that backdrop so then they um like I said they moved to West Dallas which was also in that area that so you had Dallas which was the city and then you had the Trinity River which divided Dallas the city proper and then West Dallas West Dallas was the underserved, the underprivileged, the poor. It was um, people who were destitute. And um, anyone who actually had resources and means or a job, they actually lived in Dallas. But um, like I said, they moved there for just, at least that was better than where they came from. So they um, Clyde's dad, Henry, he had a, wagon he had a horse so what he would do is just find anything to do to make money so he'd go around um and look for scrap metal and Mm. try to yeah and try to sell that so um this this area was called like i said in west dallas this was called the devil's back porch
2: Hmm.
0: or cement city and people lived in tents and they even there were accounts of the barrows even sleeping under their wagon. Like they didn't. Even, oh yeah, they didn't even have at that time when they first moved there. They didn't have shelter, except for their wagon. I mean, I can't even imagine. They like have. What did I say? It was the fifth of. Of actually, I think it was seven children.
2: I wonder if this is where the expression "dirt poor" comes from. You know,
0: that's a good. That's a good question. And probably so. Right after Bonnie had turned sixteen, she married her high school sweetheart Roy Thornton, but he turned out to be drunk and he would physically abuse her and eventually he went to prison so she just you know that was over but she didn't work in a cafe so she had some means and she could she could get by so she actually turned out she didn't even need him (laughs) (laughs) and then um Clyde taught himself how to play guitar and saxophone so and then when Bonnie was younger, she loved the stage. She loved performing in school pageants and talent shows. She would sing Broadway hits and her country favorites. So she told friends that um, she was they were going to see her name in lights one day. She was a big movie fan, and she imagined a future for herself on the silver screen. Whoa. Yeah, so we're talking about, even from early on, two talented people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so Clyde met Bonnie through friends at a party or a Seen other accounts that it was a gathering through mutual friends, and then they started dating. But she was still married to Roy Thornton. In fact, they they never did get a divorce like this whole time. But um, so Clyde started out. He would steal chickens, and he would sell them <laughs> chickens and turkeys. Him and his brother uh, Buck, Melvin Ivan Buck Barrow. I bet that was a hot commodity because it's food, right? Exactly. And they said if they couldn't sell the chicken, well, then they could just eat it.
2: The chicken and the turkey. Oh, they stole them to turn a profit.
0: Right. Or eat okay. it if they couldn't.
2: So, either way, you're like, yeah. win, win They didn't lose either way. Right. <laughs>
0: exactly. But then, um, thanks to Buck, Clyde graduated. I guess they both did. Into, like, petty thievery. They would steal cars. And Clyde was actually arrested for um, what was, a char- he was charged with car th- or auto theft. I'm not sure, They, automobile theft is what they called it. But that was because he didn't return a rental. He rented a car and he didn't return it. But um, he always wanted the finer things. You know, he didn't want to be poor. He hated being poor. I mean, who actually loves it? No one. But he actually um, aspired to be somebody who had a lot of means. So, he just decided he was just going to take what he wanted. So, he, actually, he was arrested and sent to, um, to prison, and he wanted to escape. So, um, he convinced Bonnie to, um, to go, <laughs> he convinced her, he knew where a gun was in someone else's house. So, he had convinced her to go inside a stranger's house, and he drew her a map. And he's like, go in this house, and here's the map, and here's where the gun is. And so she went there, and of course, the gun wasn't where it was supposed to be. <laughs> so she has to look. Well, she didn't have to, but she starts looking around. I can't even imagine how, what kind of stress that's like. The people weren't home, but, you know, you just have to, you're going in somebody else's house where you don't even know. You just have this map, and you're like, the gun's not there. Let me just look around. So she ends oh, up. Oh, God. <laughs> But she does end up finding it, and she sneaks it into the prison. I would imagine they don't have, like, the security that they have today. Well, at this
2: point, I would have been like, Clyde, you're the worst. (laughs)
0: Like, that would have been my
2: red flag that I probably would have ignored.
0: You would think, but she's, I mean, you know, girls like bad guys. Some of them do. So he was the bad guy. So, March eleventh, 1930, Clyde used the weapon to escape with his cellmates, but they were captured a week later and loaded on the one-way wagon. Okay. So, do you remember when we were younger and we used to say, the paddy wagon, the paddy wagon? <laughs> That's yes. what this was. This was the paddy wagon. It was basically a truck with, <laughs> like, wire on the back, and they would just load them up. Riled up the, you know, the convicts and put them in, and it was the one-way wagon. I want to say you and
2: our cousin used to tell me that um, the paddy wagon was coming to get me. Yes,
0: we did, because we had, like, the Hot Wheels version of the paddy wagon. I thought so. Yeah, that's exactly where that came from, so I thought that was cute. I had to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in one-way wagon. I said, oh, yeah. We know what that is. I mean, not from experience, but... So, Clyde was then sentenced to 14 years of hard labor, and he was eventually transferred to the East Ham State Farm in Texas, a.k.a. the Murder House or Bloody Ham. And, like, you can imagine the name. Like, this place was brutal. They I wasn't, was going to say, so it was rough. Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't like a stay at the Ritz or anything like that. They didn't give you turn down service. Or maybe they did, but just it was in a dead, had a whole new meaning. Totally different meaning. Which is, a good, which is a good segue into to um, Clyde was actually repeatedly raped by another uh. inmate there. Yeah. His name was Ed Crowder. So, Clyde ended up killing Crowder after he agreed to do so for another inmate who um, he agreed to take the blame. So, basically, they conspired together and they're like, look, if you'll kill this guy... Um, I'll take the blame for it, and so you can, you can be in the clear. So he he, he actually did that. So one thing when um, Clyde was there, he was on um, what I guess sounds like the chain gang, but he was out. He was um, had to work out in the fields, which is grueling and hostile in and of itself because the guards would um, they would beat him with chains. They would perform random spot killings. I mean, it was tough in working and living conditions, um, so much so that all this was allowed by the Texas state legislator, which ranked the Texas prison system the worst in the nation in 1935. And so to get out of um, this grueling, hard work outside, he, um, he actually cut off his two of his toes. And this was huh. something that was fairly common you know, just to get out of this work. You know, they would just because then they need, uh, they get a, a medical exemption if they did so because they weren't worth anything outside. You know, so home. they're
2: swinging like a pickaxe and they quote unquote yeah.
0: accidentally chop off their toes. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, had an accident. I'm going to need a medical exemption. But unbeknownst to him, his mother was um, on the outside working to get him paroled. And so six days later, after he chopped his toes off, This successfully happened. He was paroled. Oh, good God. (laughs) Can you imagine? He could have just hung in there six days. I mean, he didn't know, but he could have waited six days, and then he would have had... his toes. Right. So he always walks with a limp thereafter, if you can imagine. So So they didn't rob many banks, because Clyde didn't prefer the banks, which were located usually in the middle of town. He preferred, like, mom and pop, gas stations, and... um, uh, hardware stores, grocery stores, things like this on the outskirts, which didn't um, usually yield a big take, so to speak. So they had to do it quite often. But um, Clyde was five foot six with dark wavy hair and tattoos on his arm, and one of them was a heart dagger with the letters U.S.N. because um, he he attempted to join the navy that failed. <laughs> Clearly, he took a different route. But uh, I thought that was kind of funny. He always, I guess he's So always the tattoo his... was
2: a little premature.
0: Right. And walked around with the USN. I don't know. Maybe that gave him a little bit more. Cred. Yeah, probably so. So the first bank heist occurred in April of 1932 at the First National Bank of Lawrence, Kansas. So th- this would be one of many on their whole, like, two, what was their two year spree? robberies and just stealing cars um murders um i think before it was all said and done there were about 13 murders nine of them being law enforcement and avoiding police roadblocks. so in april were the roadblocks set up to try to trap them yes or
2: for other reasons
0: No, no no they were they were set up to trap them um as I'll go into a little bit further, but the FBI was after him, Degg or Hoover. They had a file on him. Um, they, he, they, Monty and Clyde avoided capture through the federal, all the states. And that was the other thing too, right? Because they would go from state to state to state and committing these robberies and car theft, that um, that's why the FBI was involved, but they couldn't even capture them. So, yeah, that, they were these, um, these roadblocks were set up for the, to capture them. So on April nineteenth, nineteen thirty-two, Fultz, who was part of the Barrow gang, he was shot and captured along with Bonnie during a gun battle at Kaufman County, Texas. And Clyde escaped. And then later, um, there was a book written by Blanche Barrow, who was the wife of Buck Barrow, Clyde's brother. She was trying to plead with him to. She was always trying to plead with him to go like on the straight and narrow. Even though she was part of the gang, but she claimed that she was part... This is Blanche now. She claimed that she was part of the gang because she never wanted to leave Buck. She loved him so much, she never even wanted to leave him. She's like, I would go down with him, um, die for him. I would go to jail for him. I just didn't, even want, I just didn't want to be without him. So, but she, so she would point out to him later on that to try to get him out of the gang and go straight. She would say, look, Clyde didn't... I don't know why you have such an allegiance to your brother Clyde because he didn't even care. He he escaped. Like, he just left y'all at the gun battle in Kaufman City. So, I thought that was interesting to point out. But uh, Fultz pled guilty to auto theft and armed robbery in exchange for Bonnie's release. And then Bonnie rejoined Clyde, and Fultz once again returned to prison. So, that summer, Raymond Hamilton... He briefly rejoined Barrow. He was arrested in December and then returned to Eastham. And Barrow always held a grudge against Hamilton for breaking out of the proposed Eastham raid. Okay, so let me just point out here real quick that we're going to throw—probably going to throw out a lot of names—but that's what would happen. Like people would kind of drift in and fall off in and out of the gang. So. But the kind of interlopers, the, right? And but the core group, at least at first, anyway, was Buck Barrow, Clyde's brother. It was Clyde, Bonnie, and then Blanche, who was Buck's wife, and then a teenager from West Dallas who was Debbie D. Jones, and then like I said, Folks, and then um, Raymond Hamilton, who was somebody that Clyde spent time with. But um, so then in Joplin, Missouri. They had a hideout. This is where the gang would rest a while to kind of just take a break, get it kind of lay low, and get away from the police. But um, also, this is where the infamous pictures that you can see online, and it's just ubiquitous, the ones where she has the cigar in her mouth and then the guns and pointing at each other. Yep, I know the one. So they had actually left undeveloped film behind because they were discovered. Okay, and on July eighteenth, nineteen thirty-three, during Coffee's first term as sheriff, and this is sheriff of uh, Platte City, and so he, Bonnie and Clyde, and the three other gang members, they checked into the Red Crown Tourist Court. This is where they held up to, um, to hide away and lay low. And I thought that it was um, pretty interesting that his name was Holt Coffee. This was the sheriff, not hot coffee. <laughs> oh, like, like some of the names that we're going to get into. Oh, yeah. Such as such the sheriff from Dallas, which was Schmoot Schmid. <laughs> we'll get into him later. Yeah. How can you say that with a straight face? Well, that was his nickname. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because I said the same thing. I was like, did I hear that right? But yeah. So You're the, like this can't be accurate, right? That's what I when I was telling you earlier off air. I said this is sounds. It really does sound like a script or a plot to a movie, but this is real life. Like this really happened, and these are real names and these, yeah. So the conspicuous behavior, the gang. This is what caught Coffee's attention and um, others as well. So on July twentieth, a ferocious. Firefight between the Barrows and 13 officers injured both Coffee and his 16-year-old son, Clarence. So Clarence suffered a wound in his arm, and it was considered life-threatening. And then um, the elder Coffee sought no treatment for his minor wounds. But um, the Barrows escaped, and they were cornered and engaged again by another posse five days later in Iowa. So, okay, so I'm sorry. I think I said... I let me go back. So, this was Platte City. That was Missouri, if I'm saying that right. And then they were discovered in Iowa. So, this is the northern part of Missouri, and then they end up in Iowa after that because they escape. So, and then in June 1933, so Clyde was known. Okay, let me just start with this. Clyde was known for his recklessness, and he would just speed out of control in, in these cars that they had in the 30s. Um, it, you can see different accounts if you look it up. Some of them say he would go like 60, 65 miles an hour, but even some accounts said he would drive like 90. And we're talking dirt roads here. You know, just like just all out, just wilding out on these dirt roads going like 90. So um, I didn't even know those vehicles would go that fast. I then. said the same thing. I said I had no idea they would go <laughs> even 90 or even 65. So so anyway, this was in June 1933 and he was he was driving fast as usual. He didn't see a detour sign and that the uh-huh. road was under um, construction. That actually the bridge was washed out. So they went over it's really not funny, but they went over the um, an embankment of a dry riverbed, crashed the car if you can imagine, and then just just it, the car was Just in bits and pieces, and so the car's battery was sputtering acid. And the two guys, um, which is Clyde and WD, they actually got out with minor injuries. But Bonnie's right leg was messed up, and just for the rest of her days, because this acid they said was uh, the injuries, her wounds covered her hip to her toes, and you could see Bonnie. Mm. Yeah. And so she was carried to a nearby farmhouse, and all they they put baking soda and salve to stop the burning. Can you imagine oh, down to the bone? But we're going <laughs> to.
2: Okay. Soda. Okay.
0: We're going to put that, ba- which I guess. Okay. So you have battery acid, a baking soda would neutralize that. I guess you know. That I was, mean, I guess that does make sense. Right. But she, no, she never did get proper medical attention because they were wanted and they were running from law enforcement. Which well, is I knew
2: that she had a, um, that she had also had a limb. Right. But I I guess I thought that she was injured. Like, I guess I thought it was like a
0: bullet wound. Well, exactly. As you would, right? Because. And that's yeah. What I'm saying. Like, I didn't
2: realize it was because of that. And I mean, I'm not surprised you didn't see a detour sign going 90. <laughs> Zoomy ways. zoom right on past that. <laughs>
0: Signed. Said. Whoops. Would that say? That's yeah.
2: Okay. Awful. I
0: think that said bridge. Up. Oh,
2: that's what that sign said.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I know that these look. It is. These they're legends, right? And and I guess it would be. This would be a good time to talk about how people just revered them. Like, you're just ordinary, not law enforcement, but your ordinary, everyday, common person considered these people, Bonnie and Clyde, they consider them like celebrity status. Like, they love them. That was, They were like, they consider them Robin Hood, you know? They were just, because at that time, you know, they were so, people were destitute and they were just, they, they didn't they were just so upset with the conditions and they felt like the financial institutions and and people in power had um, failed them. So I guess it's not a stretch to think that law enforcement would kind of be an extension of that. Yeah. And so they were just... So they
2: just railed against any of the haves. Correct. Authority figures.
0: Absolutely. It was a case of haves and have-nots. Yeah. Have and have not the haves
2: and the have not have
0: not. <laughs> okay, yes, that. So anyway, that's they were loved by thousands of people. Right, I know.
2: There's like footage or stills of, uh, and even in in that movie, um, the Highwaymen, the Highwaymen, where they're like. People flock to their cars like, like they're movie
0: stars. Absolutely. Yes. And that's how they thought of them as that. And and it's it's crazy to think that these people who were who killed people and who killed people just got in their way. Like everyday people, but also at the same time, they were just like, Yeah, you know, rage against the man. <laughs> Yeah, it was exciting.
2: It was exhilarating to see that, and I'm sure people wish that they could, you know, had the courage to do the same thing.
0: Right, and that's exactly what they did. They would just go along and rob when they, when they needed money. That they would, um, they would rob the well, and it is sad to know they did rob mom and pop. You know, hardworking men and women, um, and probably mostly men. Then, sadly. But then, also, if they needed guns, they would rob the armories. Then, if they needed a car, they would steal a car. And, you know, I'd be pissed if somebody stole my car, you know, then or now. So, but then they were just a crazy phenomenon that they were just loved. Like, it's just that whole, like, yeah, you know, that rebellion. Anyway, so... I feel like no, I spent it, way it, too it, much time on that.
2: It's super interesting <laughs> um, when you think about it, because yeah. it, you know, it asks a, a good question. Like, you know, you were talking about earlier how um, my niece, your daughter, was saying, you know, why do people, yeah, love them so much? It's a, you know, it's a good question,
0: right. So he did, uh, he, uh, Clyde, had to carry Bonnie all the time after that. So and then July 1933 in Dexter Field, this was Dexter, Iowa, Bonnie and Clyde and their gang, they had been camping out in an abandoned park, recovering from an earlier shootout. And when they were ambushed in, um, by a posse from the nearby town of Dexter, every member of the Barrow Gang, they left the firefight either wounded or dying. So Clyde, Bonnie, W. D. Jones, they were all wounded, but they escaped. Blanche and Buck, this is the married couple. Who's uh, and Buck was Clyde's brother. They were captured. Blanche was arrested and charged with assault with intent to kill sheriff, the sheriff in, nice. back in Missouri in um, Platte City. I almost said Ville Platte, Platte City. So, um, and then Buck died days later in an Iowa hospital. Uh. So then there was the Sowers Ambush. This was November 1933. This is where you get to meet Dallas Sheriff Schmoot Schmidt. Enter Schmoot Schmidt. Right. And um, Ted Hinton and Bob Alcorn. They set a trap on a uh, tip that Bonnie and Clyde were coming home to West Dallas to visit. And also, that was one thing they always did in their travels, they would always come back home. Oh. Yeah, they'd always come back home to family. They were actually very close with both, you know, both Bonnie was very close to her family, and so was Clyde, who was very close to his um, family. So, but um, another thing, too, is there are accounts that say that Clyde just kind of had this sixth sense that he could kind of sense when things didn't feel right. I don't know, maybe it's just beginning on the run. But um, he, this particular trip, he didn't feel right about it, so he just kept driving through, And then the shooting started. uh, Sheriff Schmoot, he had a Thompson submachine gun, and his gun jammed, and he couldn't even get a shot off. But Bob Alcorn, he had a Browning Automatic Rifle, or a BAR, and his bullets went through the car and wounded Bonnie and Clyde in the knees, but they did get away. So I just want to point out something real quick, because I cheated, and I listened to the... Audible book. Um, I have to actually look it up what it is, but um, it was by Jeff Gwynn. And he was saying B-A-R, but I thought he was saying V R the whole time. So I just I just I didn't know. I didn't know what kind of um, gun. It's called Go Down Together. Okay. The true story of Bonnie and Clyde by Jeff Gwynn. And the narrator who has an amazing voice, but he was saying B-A-R, and I thought he was saying VR. So I asked our resident authority and embassy clearer on what was a VR gun. And he was like, you know, during the 30s, the Bonnie and Clyde era, and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Is that virtual reality? I said, no, they did not have virtual reality back then. And so In the 30s. <laughs> right, right. He said, I have no idea what you're talking about. So finally he said, B A R? Are you talking about Browning automatic rifle? I said, yeah, that's it. So, I just wanted to point that out. So they, that was that was the technology of the day. They had the Browning automatic rifle. So, and that was actually what um, Clyde preferred that gun. So, and and this ambush, this tower's ambush. Dallas papers blasted Sheriff Smoot Schmid. They claim that Sheriff escapes from Clyde Barrow. <laughs> What? So, yeah, they were making fun of him. Oh, it was sarcasm. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Oh,
2: wow, that's that's fantastic.
0: <laughs> but they also wondered why he had himself and three deputies with him, and they speculated yeah. that he wanted to take he wanted to take them down and then take all the credit for it. Yeah, but they were um eluded, you know, capture again. But Clyde was. Uh, he gunned down Deputy Malcolm Davis as officers waited for the gang. No, this was northwest of Dallas. So Bonnie and Clyde, they were confronted on the side of the road by Patrolman H.D. Murphy and Edward Wheeler and sued in a shootout in Great Grapevine, Texas. This is where in the movie, like you had just referenced, the highwaymen. This is the two that were on the motorcycles. And they were witnessed oh, by the yeah, yeah,
2: I do remember that. That's yeah. awful.
0: That was one of the roadblocks that they had set up, and he killed, did kill those um, those two officers. And supposedly in the movie, this happened too. And supposedly this was true that that Bonnie. I guess this is because there wasn't a witness that she um, rolled him over and kicked the uh, the officer. Remember that in the movie? Supposedly that happened as well. Yeah,
2: I do remember that.
0: So this leads us to the Eastman Prison breakout. So, Clyde and Mullins, who he had spent uh, time with in the past, they had planned a breakout for Joe Palmer, Henry Methvin, Raymond Hamilton, and Hilton Bybee. So, what they did was they hit a gun. This is Clyde and Mullins. They hit a gun on the grounds just outside of the – the. Um, they were on the outside of the uh, prison, and they hit a inner tube tire, and they put uh, guns inside them. This was two days before the breakout. So the day of the breakout, Palmer, who's in prison, he uh, was part of the ones that they're trying to break out, Clyde is, um, he pulls a gun on a guard named Croson. He shot him in the stomach. So then the four convicts that I just mentioned, they ran toward the sound of the horn that Bonnie was honking to let them know um, where where they were so they could drive them away. This is also, let me point this out, um, in the movie, The Highwayman. I
2: think that's how the movie opens, isn't it? It does.
0: Absolutely. I was going to say it opens with that. So they got a lot of that right, even though they probably did um, add some for, you know, theatrical embellishments. um, But that supposedly happened as well. But Hilton Bybee, he was recaptured on January 30th in 1934. This was two weeks after the break. And in 1937, he escaped from Eastman. And then later that year in Arkansas, a posse shot and killed him. So that was his fate. Then Raymond Hamilton, who was uh, at one point in the gang, and Joe Palmer, they were both recaptured separately and returned to prison. And Palmer was tried and convicted in the murder of Major Croson. That's the guard that he shot in the stomach, who later died. Um, Both men were sentenced to death. Um, and then on July 22nd, 1934, Hamilton and Palmer, they escaped from Huntsville's death house. This created nationwide headlines and further embarrassed Lee Simmons, the manager of the Texas prison system. Okay, so we're going to reference the movie again. This is um, Lee Simmons, who was, like I said, the manager of the prison system. He's the one that goes to Kathy Bake's character, which is Ma Ferguson. He goes to her, and he asks her, um, can he please, well, I don't even know if he said please, but can he um, recommission Frank Hamer, who was a former Texas Ranger? And um, he was the one uh, who was embarrassed by all this. So let me just pause for a second and get into a couple characters here. So then you have um, you have Frank Hamer who, like I said, was a former Texas Ranger, he was a tough hombre. Like this guy, he, he, he um, was shot at one time. Well, actually, let me back up a little bit. He was actually approached by a rancher to kill another rancher, and then he refused. And so that rancher who approached him leveled him with a shotgun but didn't kill him, and then he tracked him down, This is Hamer, tracked him down and then shot him dead. So he was, like, he was tough. He didn't mess with him. He was um, huge. He was a big in stature. And he was considered the best lawman in Texas and probably the country. But he did have problems with Ma Ferguson, who was the governor at the time. And, and um, she was actually... One of the well, she was the first female governor, and one of only two, at least at that time. Anyway, had to check me on that. I don't know if there've been any, been any female governors since then. But her husband was—he um, was a governor before that. He was actually impeached on several charges, and um, I have to go. And so time. she got the
2: governorship when he was impeached. I'm just curious how she became governor back then. I know.
0: Well, okay. Basically, she ran on, like, his coattails. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, Ma Ferguson was Miriam Amanda Wallace, and she was married to James Edward Ferguson. He was a a lawyer, and he was also uh, the governor prior to her governor. Being governor, he was governor, but he was impeached on 10 charges. And then she ran. She actually won two non-consecutive terms. So then she she was governor, and then she wasn't, and then she ran and was governor again. But what she was noted for was um, a couple of things. She dismantled the Texas Rangers, which is why her and Frank Hamer didn't get along. He went ahead and quit before she, uh, once she was elected, before she Was established in office. And she, uh, it's just speculated that she didn't really like their violent ways, but she was pretty progressive. You know, she was a female, but she was, uh, she also pushed back very hard against the KKK in Texas. She was called Ma, and then her husband, who was the, the former governor, he was called Pa. So they were Ma, Pa, Ferguson. And they were both teetotalers. It says that they both liked to drink. Even those. Uh, this also falls within. You know, we mentioned the Dust Bowl. We mentioned the Great Depression, but there was also Prohibition during this time too. So there was a lot of political, oh for sure, and, and environmental things going on around this. But that's what I wanted to pause and mention about uh, Ma Ferguson. So, um, so she agrees. She uh, she agrees with. Um, Lee Simmons' request to pull Frank Hamer out of retirement and commission him again, once again, for um, the state... I'm not sure what that was, but state highway commission? Basically giving him a commission to go after Bonnie and Clyde. So he forms a a posse himself. So Frank Hamer, along with Bienville Parish Sheriff Jordan... And Ted Henson, who was, I'm sorry, Ted Hinton, who was a deputy from Dallas. Prentice Oakley, who was a Bienville Parish deputy. Bob Alcorn, he was a Dallas deputy. And Manny Galt, he was a Dallas deputy. Now he was played by, if you saw Highwaymen, he was played by Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Yeah. So this was um, Frank Hamer's posse that he put together. And I, I guess I should backtrack a little bit because we brought Bienville Parish in here. So, Henry Methvin, who um, was the part of the East, East Ham Prison breakout, he was from Bienville Parish, Louisiana. And he joined, once he was broke out of, um, during that breakout, once he was with them, he joined the Barrow Gang. And this is when Bonnie and Clyde spent a Pretty good bit of time right there before the end, before they were ambushed, which we'll get to. They spent time in Bienville Parish. They actually liked this, and Clyde wanted to uh, buy a couple, a lots of uh, land and move his family there. And he wanted to um, go into the timber business. He thought they would go on the straight and narrow. Oh, wow. Yeah, they felt, uh, he felt secure there. He felt like that was a place he could hide out and just kind of lay low from from the uh, law enforcement, because the Sheriff Jordan, like I mentioned, he knew they were there, and he was in touch with Frank Hamer, Hamer, um, who was the, the Texas former Texas Ranger. And he did not so, – so he kind of let them hang out there in their hideouts because there were many places for them to stay in a lot of these um, abandoned farmhouses because of the Great Depression. People had, had lost them. So the sheriff of Bienville Parish, who was Henderson Jordan, he didn't care if they hid out there as long as they weren't committing crimes in his parish. He was actually in communication with Frank Hamer, and Hamer agreed. He said, just let them lay low and get comfortable, and um, that way they'll get sloppy or they'll kind of slip up and make a mistake, and that way we can... Yeah, we can uh, put the cast the net over them, so to speak. So, um, during that time, Ivy Methven, who was Henry Methven's father, and that which is how they, that this is why they were in Beanville Parish to begin with. He went to the authorities and he wanted to strike up a deal. He said he could get them Bonnie and Clyde in exchange for Henry's exoneration. Like, pardon him if he could mm-hmm. pardon um, Henry's um, involvement in there. So they agreed. They said, okay, that was fine. Of course, this is Texas, right? This is, like, can only pardon him in Texas, which is the key point in this. So they can, they hatched this plan. And this was the posse, like I mentioned earlier. So this is Frank Hamer, which is a former Texas Ranger. Manny Galt, the former Dallas um, I'm sorry, the former um, Texas Ranger. And then Bob Alcorn, which is a Dallas deputy. Ted Hinton, a Dallas deputy. Apprentice Oakley, a Benville Parish deputy. So they hatched this plan where they had Ivy Methven pull his car on the side of the road and take the tire off. This is also in the the movie. If you recall, The Highwaymen. But they actually... Handcuffed um, Ivy in the woods. I guess they didn't want him to get away and maybe um, keep an eye on him and keep him away from. I'm thinking they probably kept him away from Bonnie and Clyde coming through so he wouldn't tip them off. Yeah. So they they handcuffed him to a tree. And so, sure enough, um, they, um, this was, well, this was actually on a road that was one way in, one way out. It's pretty clever. Sure enough, they hear the V8 barreling down the road going fast like he always does and bob alcorn who was the the dallas deputy he was the one who could id them everyone else like they i guess they didn't know what bonnie clyde looked like so hey they come barreling they hear this v8 which they could hear the engine they knew it was uh, had more heft than most of the cars and they come in like fast down the road and they're like hey this has got to be them So, they um, slow down when they see Ivy's car, you know, dismantled on the side of the road. So, there's some disputes as to what happens next. Some say that Frank Hamer um, shouts out in a warning. Some say um, that he didn't and that was the plan. But they all agree that Prentice Oakley, who was the Bienville Parish uh, Sheriff's Deputy, he uh, shot first. And he Mm -hmm. shot. They had the windows down. Bonnie and Clyde did in their car because it was a muggy day and it shot hit him and the uh, hit Clyde in the head and the car rolled and then they opened fire. They all just like pummeled in with bullets and they say anywhere from 120 to 150 bullets just wow. riddled the car and both of their bodies.
2: So they had slowed down or even came to a stop. Well, okay, that's what I was wondering. So they were completely stopped.
0: Yes, by by some accounts. Yes, and then
2: I see what you're saying. That because he
0: hit him in the head, and he obviously didn't
2: have control, and it rolled. I right. gotcha. Okay, they said his
0: foot. Actually, they actually did. There were accounts that say that his foot slipped off of the the um, brake, rolled into the ditch, and they even hesitated because they were like, "Are they dead? You know?" I was thinking of
2: a roll when it's like in motion and it uh they lose control.
0: Oh right, yeah. I guess in a way, yeah, but he was already dead at that time. So they just the car was riddled with bullets. And then you can um what they call the death car is actually in um is in a museum. Uh I have to look up where that is. Not sure where the oh it's in Vegas. It's in Whiskey Pete's in Vegas, um, the death car, but there is an ambush museum in Bienville Parish. Yeah. And so well, I'm sure we'll have to go see one day. It looks like a, a little, um, brick house, <laughs> but we'll have to go check that out. Um, but there are, that being said, there are a lot of museums here and there, um, all over their, their, um, the states that they hit up. And earlier, I think I said, if I didn't, they hit up like 20 states. Yeah. And um, I'll go through that right now just to give you an idea of their 21-month, it wasn't quite two years, their 20-month run. They either robbed, killed, or just drove through Colorado, Oklahoma, Texas, Nebraska, South Dakota, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa, Missouri. Wow. Right. Right. Um, And just like some little facts and tidbits, well, okay, before I get into that, so um, they have to tow the car back in, they tow it with another car, and when they tow it um, 20 or so miles, I think, into the nearest city, because they were rural, on this rural road, they form a mob, like this actually happened, you can look up footage of just the mob of people that just ascend upon this car once they get into the, the town, Wow. And just people are just reaching in, and they're just, like, trying to touch them, trying to touch the car. That's how much that they revered them as um, heroes, really, and, like, celebrity status. Then um,
2: left them in the vehicle and pulled them in? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, and, and
0: this is all on footage. Like, you can see this, and upwards from twenty to 30,000 people attended Bonnie's funeral, and fifteen to 20,000 people attended Clyde's. Wow! yeah that's crazy because they killed people they killed 13 people and nine of them were law enforcement officers and, and some of them were just like people who like i said earlier just got in their way that's um right they um that's crazy but just some like okay now i guess we can get into some facts so, Bonnie is pictured, like, in the, the famous picture where she has the cigar in her mouth, uh-huh. but she didn't smoke cigars. Like, she, that must have gotten out, well, it actually did get out in the newspapers, and she had actually told people, like, yeah, don't smoke cigars. She did drink heavily, but Clyde didn't because he always wanted to be alert. He would drink, something it's not that he didn't drink, but he, he wanted to mainly remain alert because he was, all, they were always on the run. They barely slept in beds hardly uh. they had that lost so much weight in their their family had just commented on the fact that they just didn't look they looked aged like they didn't look well they weren't really eating they weren't really sleeping like they should um they would sleep in the cars most of the time um they like i said they hardly ever slept in the bed um kumi barrow clyde's mom she she didn't approve of bonnie um the paper oh this was this was interesting So the papers and public uh, law enforcement officers, just to show you the chauvinist or chauvinism, the male chauvinism of the day, they would not even call her by name. Bonnie by name, they would call her his paramour, um, her or his um, uh, companion. But they wouldn't even Mm. call her by name just because she was a female. I thought that was so. Her name
2: inferred. um well I guess it I guess it was to the reason why they didn't is because it was to show inferiority
0: yes absolutely it's a, how dare like give a woman like just even name her by her name but wow um, alleged oh, that's
2: ridiculous very
0: very much so it shows you like the milieu of the day but um allegedly Bonnie never shot anyone but herself. Because in 1932, she accidentally grazed two of her toes when a weapon she was holding for Clyde discharged. So, there's that. But then also, I've seen accounts where she actually did um, shoot or shoot at people. Um, so, they, she was a great poet, too. She wrote, um, that you can find this, too. She wrote accounts of suicide, Sal. And then she wrote a poem about them. And um, I'm just going to read a little bit of it because it's pretty long, but but I'm impressed. Maybe because I can't write poetry. I can't even put rhyming words <laughs> together. But yeah, me either. I'm so super impressed by this. So, just a little bit. They don't think they're too tough or desperate. They know that the law always wins. They've been shot at before. They do not ignore that the way the death is the wages of sin. Whoa. Someday they'll go down together and they'll bury them side by side. To fuel be grief, to the law of relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde.
2: So they always they knew they were gonna
0: die. They did, and that's what I I didn't mention, but I did come in my uh, upon in my research that they even commented to family that they've gone, they got to the point of there was no coming back from it. Yeah, like they no were just return. yeah. There's the point of no return. They were not going to, um, well, they weren't gonna turn themselves in. So they knew that they were going to die by the hands of the law, and then you already had Buck, who had died. Blanche, um, who survived, she actually um, spent. She she was charged with um, intent assault with intent to kill the sheriff um, of in Missouri, and so she. I'm not sure how long she served, but she did get a ten year sentence. They um, thought I did see where she. I thought she would only serve. She would be eligible for parole after two, and then she would, um, but she, she, she shouldn't have served more than five of that, which was half, I guess you get time and a half, or time yeah. or half. Uh, yeah. Um, but I will admit I didn't actually, should have, look up how long she did. But she did um, serve time in jail. In fact, um, J. Edgar Hoover, because the FBI was actually trying to find them, and they eluded their capture as well. J. Edgar Hoover personally visited Blanton jail. Barrow, that was Buck's wife, and so he wanted to know. He was furious. He wanted to know how to, how and where to find Bonnie and Clyde. And she never spoke a word. She never, really, yeah, she never spoke a word to him. He even threatened her. He would because she had suffered eye injuries, like glass in her eye. She had to have surgery to remove it. and She suffered for a while for that. He even told her when he saw her that he would gouge her good eye out. And she never. Ooh. Right? Can you imagine Jay Hoover in your face, threatening to gouge your good eye out? So yeah, she didn't even. She didn't even say a word. So.
2: Uh, <laughs> so she lived to be uh, seventy-seven.
0: She yes, and she wrote a book too, which I um, listened to on Audible. It's really good because she um, she claims that she had no desire to really be in the gang she really just wanted to be there for buck and she wanted to she didn't want to be without she loved him so much she didn't even want to be without him that she would be in the gang and she would go down with him she'd go to jail for him she would die for him she would risk it all just to Uh. be with him And if you believe her i mean i don't some people do some people don't but um that's what she wrote in her account but um clyde also wanted to be or he wanted Pretty Boy Floyd to be in his gang or, you know, just, just to kind of collaborate with them. And they actually stopped by, Bonnie and Clyde did, but he wasn't there. His sister-in-law was there, and she didn't let him stay, but she gave them supplies, um, some medical supplies and some food. And when he found out, he was not happy about it. He was super mad. He told them to never assist them again, and if they didn't like it, they could look him up.
2: Whoa,
0: yeah, and this is people that Clyde looked up to, and even Dillinger. But Dillinger didn't even care, have the respect for him because he said they were just kids robbing grocery stores. Yeah,
2: they he didn't have any respect <laughs> from his his heroes, right?
0: Can you imagine? I know. Well, they
2: were too, like, I mean, golly, they were they were way too extra.
0: They well, that's what they said, they were just too, um, they didn't have the respect for. They were very careless and didn't have the respect for other people's lives, Mm-mm. and then these were other gangsters. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, so I this is one thing too. I was wondering why the state police, Louisiana State Police, was not involved. So I didn't know this, but I looked it up. Um, the Louisiana State Police uh, was the Highway Commission in 1922 to 1936, and then this all happened from 32 to 34. Um, the, so, two years before Bonnie and Clyde. And then, it's interesting to note that the Louisiana State Police, they had a staff. They weren't even called the State Police then, anyway. They were a highway commission, and they had a staff of 16 that were on motorcycles. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they weren't even given the authority to carry firearms until 1936. And that's,
2: that, super, that, that's very
0: interesting. Yes, and then in 1936, when they did form the Louisiana State Police, it was modeled after the FBI. Huh. Yeah. And then in 1942, the legislature, uh, they they enacted in legislature the Department of the State Police under public safety. Okay. So, yeah. What year was that again? Well, that was 1942 when they 42, actually. Okay. Well, that's actually when they pulled it under the sta- uh, public safety. But okay. in, in 1936, they actually formed the Louisiana State Police, and that was when they modeled it after the FBI. Okay. And then, um, so some books that, uh, that I mentioned earlier were Go Down Together by Jeff Gouin, and it, if you're lazy like me, or busy, busy, lazy, whichever one you, whichever one you look at it, um, it's an audible, so you can have it read to you, um, also My Life with Bonnie and Clyde by Blanche Caldwell-Barrow, that one was, mm. that one's really good, and then I going the to read that one yeah. first. And, um, also the movie The Highwayman that we referenced several times. This is the, it's on Netflix, and it's with Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. It's a very good, it has more of the emphasis on, um, Frank Hamer and, um, Manny Galt.
2: It does. The point of view is, um, definitely from their, from them, but it, it, it's just a really, it's a really good film.
0: Oh, yeah. For sure. But, um. If you like what you heard, please consider giving us a five star review. And also, we are on Twitter at so Disco PC. You can email us at Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. And on Instagram, we're at Southern Discomfort PC. We're also on Podbean, SouthernDiscomfort at Podbean.com. But thank you guys, and thank you for being patient. I know it was the bottleneck on this one. Don't uh, I'm not going to make a habit of taking. <laughs> of once a month. Um, we do try to get one out once a week, but uh, with the holidays and uh, busy, busy life. That was, I'll take the, uh, the hit for this one. <laughs> but thank you, South Korea, Japan, Russia, Canada, um, Sweden, Australia, Denmark, Hong Kong, Ukraine, Serbia, Thailand, Vietnam, Mexico, Indonesia, Brazil, India, India, UK, Poland, Macau, Kenya, Guam, Georgia, Algeria, Spain, Ecuador, Dominican Republic, Colombia, oh, Bosnia, Argentina, Taiwan. Yes, thank you. We see you and thank you for listening.
1: You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So, we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com, on Facebook it's Southern Discomfort Podcast, and on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit SouthernDiscomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcast. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort Signing off.